with me? I want to scream it out from every mountain. I want to scream it out from every mountain top. Your goodness knows no bounds. Your goodness never stops. Your mercy follows me. Your kindness is my life. Your love amazes me. And I sing because you are good. And I dance because you are good. And I shout because you are good. You are good. Good to
morning, let's just go before him and cast our cares on him. Just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, then darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch. Just one word, and you revived every dream. Just one touch, I feel the power of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes were open to see. My heart can't help but
shout your praise. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise. Psalms 139, beginning in verse 13, the psalmist reminds us that it is God who created us. It says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast, vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand when I wake up and I'm still with you. Again, a wonderful reminder that God is the one who knit us together. It is God who created us. And this song is a reminder that every morning when we get up and we take that breath, that it is the God who created the universe who gives us that very breath to breathe. 
And when we're reminded of that, how can we not say, God, how great you are? Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I thank you today for your wonderful love for us. Thank you for the reminder today that it is you who created us. And you created us with a purpose and with a plan. And and God, every day that you give us breath for our lungs. What a wonderful thing that it is. And what a wonderful reminder that we have another day here on this earth to worship and to praise you for who you are. God, we thank you that in that love for us that when our relationship was broken because of sin in our life, that you gave your very one and only son, Jesus Christ, to take our place, to die for us. And that through him, we have life, spiritual life, life that is far more than what sometimes we even think about or can even imagine, but that abundant life that comes through knowing you. So God, we thank you today and we praise you today for the life that you give us. God, we thank you for your presence that's here with us and we thank you for a time that we can worship together and we can sing together. And God, we can study your word together. And God, I pray right now you would just clear thoughts and clear minds and you would help us to be ready to receive from you what you have for us through your word today. God, we thank you for your word that challenges, your word that convicts, your word that encourages. And God, we thank you for life that is in your word. And we look forward to how your word is going to speak to our hearts today. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. So listen, I am always excited to be able to open God's Word and share um, in the church. God's Word is powerful, and I believe it is helpful for us. Uh, it grows us in our faith. Hopefully that's the goal. Every week we come here, it's like, what does God want to say to me today? Sometimes we hear messages like, that wasn't for me, but my brother should have been here, or my wife, or my husband, whatever. And we do that, but I mean, I think there's always a benefit to opening God's Word. God's Word is powerful, and if we just open our hearts to what He has to say to us, we can be encouraged in His Word. We can grow in his word, and sometimes we need to be, and we will be challenged in his word. And so we've been in this First Peter epistle for eight weeks today, and we're going to finish it up today. And, and while I'm not going to spend the time throughout the entire chapter 5, there are two verses that I want to slow down and focus on this morning because I believe they're extremely important for us today. And so we've been talking about living as outsiders in a foreign land, and Peter writes this letter to a group of Christians who are experiencing some persecution. They're experiencing some suffering, and it's pretty bad if you've studied any of the, the, the history of Nero, and you know the persecution of the early church was horrendous. And so he's writing to these Christians, and he's talking to them about the hope that they have in heaven, and that hope is this living hope that is far beyond the reach of change and decay. It's kept in heaven, pure and undefiled, and he's saying that's a, that's a special, special inheritance that awaits for those that place their faith in Christ. And so that should give them a motivation as they're going through life and they're struggling. There is something that doesn't change. There is something that is concrete and settled in heaven. And the Bible says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither can into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. And so Peter's simply saying to the believers, hey, listen, do you know how powerful this is, this living hope that is waiting for you and me? And that living hope should produce joy in the life of the believer, amen? We should be able to say, you know what, I, I don't want to be joyful just because the circumstances warrant that. And that's the way I'm wired. If things are great, hey, I'm joyful. But there's a lot of times things aren't great, and I don't feel like I'm very joyful. And um, I, I think that that's something for us, for all of us to just consider and remember in scriptures, like that living hope should motivate us to joy, knowing that, hey, you know what, we're not living for this life now. We know that one day we have a home in heaven, and I'm looking forward to seeing my Savior there, Amen. 
So then he talks about how it should relate in our context with our friendships and authority, relationships, and how we should live our lives as a result of the, the living hope. And then he starts talking about what was very near and dear to them, their suffering. He talks about following the, the model of Christ and his suffering, his example, and how he was patient in that suffering because he knew what it would produce. And he knew that when it was over, he would be back at home with the Father. And like us, the same way, we may experience some suffering but we know that it's going to produce something in our lives. We're going to grow as a result of it. And we know that one day we'll be at home with the Lord. We'll be finally free once and for all from the presence of sin. That's good news as well. And so he closes out this letter in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 and 9 with this profound statement that's going to be the bulk of what we talk about today. The title of the message today is Know the Real Enemy. And so he's been talking to the church, and he closes out this epistle with a very profound statement, and I believe a warning to the church. And I think it's just as relevant today as it was then, a warning for us today. And you need to hear my heart. As a pastor, I try to think about, you know, the approach that we take with the scriptures, you know, how we're going to, you know, just relay what God's word says. Um, and as I was prayerfully going through this, this is a verse that was embedded, ingrained in my mind as a little boy. I've had this verse memorized for years because it is so profound and important for us to know as followers of Christ that we have an enemy. And so we need to know who the enemy is. And he says that to them in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he says, resist him, standing firm in the faith, Right? And that's what he tells them to do. So he says, this idea that there is an enemy, a great enemy, that is opposed to us and what we stand for. Um, and so that is the, the title of the message this morning. And I want to begin with something that, um, th that I read yesterday <clears throat> that kind of solidified where my heart was at. I was like, oh my gosh, if this is true, this is terrible. And so back in 2009, like 12 years ago, Barna Research, if you know who Barna is, they, they poll Christians. They don't poll unbelievers. They just go to people who say, I'm a believer in Christ. And they ask them certain questions or they make certain statements. And then they ask the people to vote on that. Like, do you strongly agree with this statement or somewhat disagree? And so they ask questions or they make a statement. So back in April of 2009, they polled 1,871 Christians. And they made this statement that the Satan is not a living being. But he's simple, simply a symbol of evil. So do you get that? He's saying Satan is not real. He, he's not a living being, but he's just a symbol of evil. That's the statement. And then he asked, do you agree with that? And so watch this. Out of 1,871 Christians, let's just break it down to the tens. Four out of ten Christians said that they strongly agree with a statement that Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. Do you see the problem with that? Four out of ten Christians said, yeah, he's not real. It's just a symbol for evil. In addition to that, two more out of ten said that they somewhat agree with that statement. Like, you know, I'm not 100% strongly agreeing, but I somewhat agree with the statement that Satan is not real. He's, a, he's not a living being, but he is a symbol of evil. And finally, there was another 10% that said they somewhat disagree with that statement. In other words, they weren't firm in their conviction that, oh, no, 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 Satan is real. He's not just a symbol. He is real and he is evil. He is an enemy. There were like 10% that said, I don't know what I really feel about Satan. So, so if you're looking at this, 26%, you can't have 2.6 or whatever people, so I had to round it up to three guys, right? Three out of 10 Christians strongly disagreed with the statement Satan is not a living being, a symbol of evil. So out of ten Christians, three of them said, mm -mm, Satan is real. Can I ask you a question this morning, church? 
Do you believe that Satan is real? I wonder if they, they said they pulled 48 states. I wonder if they skipped the belt buckle of, of Texas, you know, because we're living in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, right? And so I would think that if they would survey churches around here, we'd be like, oh, dude, I'm married to a sister, right? I mean, I'm just joking, but and we're like, he's real. And we just understand this idea that we have this adversary. And so Peter's writing this letter to this church, and he says, I want to make sure that you know, guys, because you're experiencing suffering and pain and persecution, and you're going to be tempted to look at people. You're going to be tempted to look at Nero or other people that are just persecuting you, but you need to know that there is an enemy far more vicious than that. And so he says, you need to know, and he says, it's like this warning. It's like he's pumping the brakes at the end of this letter to say, hold up. Let me just warn you guys that there's an enemy. You need to know that there's an enemy. And I would say this, that if that poll were taken today, I don't know what the statistics would be like, but that should motivate every church in the world to, to know that only three out of ten people believe that Satan is real and that he's an enemy. That's a major problem for Christendom. That's a major problem for the church. That puts us very vulnerable to his tactics and his deception and his lies. Amen? And so can you imagine just how dangerous that is, walking through life as an outsider, living in a strange land, knowing there's an enemy. And it's not because he's an enemy of us, but who we represent. He hates God. He hates God and, and God's um, economy of love and grace and mercy. And he would love nothing more than to embarrass God when his children, those that have placed their faith in him, and here's the good news, Satan can't steal that. We are secure in his hands, but he can sure embarrass God, and he can say, all right, watch this. Let me destroy their marriage. Let me get them so addicted to, to drugs or pornography or alcoholism. Let me just get their lives so messed up that I wreck their testimony. I wreck their marriage. Let me wreck a church while I'm at it. And let me see if I can sow all kinds of decision in their li or d dissension in their life because that's what he does. And if we walk around thinking there is no real devil, then guess what? We're very vulnerable to his tactics and his schemes. And so please hear me saying, church, we need to know that we have a real enemy. We need to know the real enemy. Now, we need to know the real enemy. Number one, he's real, like not just a figment of our imagination or the cartoons that we see on TV with a little red underwear and a pitchfork, you know, that hops from cartoon to cartoon to cartoon, but he's a real adversary. But know the real enemy also because, as I said earlier, they may be tempted to look at people. And Paul reminds us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's, it's a spiritual battle. And so hear me say this this morning, church. We need to know that in this world we live, we're going to experience some persecution. We're going to experience some suffering. We talked about that for the past two weeks in detail. And it's not encouraging news, but the good news is we're on the winning team, Right? And one day when it's all over with, we'll be in the presence of God and it'll all be, it'll feel like that was nothing compared to being in the glory, glorious presence of God. And so in the meantime, while we live here as followers of Christ, we need to know that we have an enemy. So scripture is very clear. Um, Satan is all throughout scripture. He's got many names. He's Satan. He's the devil. He's the serpent that was in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. He's the dragon. He's an angel of light. He masquerades. You know, Halloween's coming up and people put masks on to masquerade themselves. It says that he does the same thing. And he masquerades himself as an angel of light. It says he's the God of this world. In fact, Jesus made that statement about three times in Scripture. Jesus said about Satan, he is the God of this world. He is a deceiver. He is the accuser. He's a slanderer. Jesus believed in the reality of the devil and he dealt with him personally in the Wilderness and the temptation, he dealt with Satan. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven. 
So I think Jesus believed in a literal devil, and we should too. Amen? So what does he do? He lies. He's the father of lies. He don't know how to tell the truth. He tells partial truths because that's what he's good at. He's a liar. John 10.10 says, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. So in that, we know that he steals, he kills, and he destroys. He's the slanderer. He's the accuser. In Job, we find him going to and fro on the earth, and he presents himself before God, and he's the accuser for Job. He says, the only reason Job is serving you is because you've blessed him with everything. And God says, all right, let me take everything away from him, or you're allowed to do everything but not take his life. And he says, oh, when you do that, Job will surely curse you and die. And so even in the book of Job, we see him as the accuser, the slanderer. And so now Peter gives us a visual image. In addition to all these names and all of this, this M.O. of what Satan does, Peter lays out this visual picture for us. And he says, for your great enemy, your adversary, this great enemy that you have, he says, the devil... Just in case you're wondering who we're talking about, the devil, it says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Rachel and I went to, on our little road trip a few weeks back, and we went to um, South Dakota, and there there's a place called Bear Country. It's really cool. And we went to, the, to see the Mount Rushmore, but just north of there was Bear Country. And you pay a fee, and you drive across some cattle guards. And when you get inside the cattle guards, you're now in open country. you got bears that are literally right next to your car. In fact, Rachel's new car, I'm watching out for the bighorn sheep. I'm like, please don't hit her car and scratch it up, right? We're driving right in the middle of all these wolves, bears, uh, elk, buffalo, um, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. It wasn't that. So I noticed there weren't any lions there. And I thought, why aren't there any lions? Well, my daughter, being the smart aleck that she is, says, South Dakota, it is a preserve. They can bring them in. You ever been to a zoo, right? They can have them there. So anyways, they didn't have any lions. And I thought, I wonder why they didn't have any lions. Well, you're driving through in a car, and they tell you to leave your windows up. And you're thinking, oh, you've got plenty of distance there between you and the animals. But listen to some of these things that I learned about the big cat, the lion, um, when I was researching this. Lions can stretch out up to 10 feet so imagine them standing up and stretching out up to 10 feet. I don't see very many fences that I'm comfortable with them being behind. They can weigh up to 400 and 500 pounds. That would be pretty damaging to a car hood. Um, it says that they eat about 185 pounds a day. If you're doing the math, that's like 70 hamburgers to a human a day. So they're always hungry, and you better hope that they've been fed before you show up if you're going to be around lions. This one got me. It says that they can leap up to 36 feet. Just imagine for a second. A lion leaping a distance of 36 feet. Imagine walking through the woods in lion territory. <laughs> oh, he's way away. We're good. Mm -mm. It says they can run up to 40 miles an hour, but only for a short distance in a straight line. That's pretty fast. And for that reason, it says that they will be very clever, and they will sneak up on their prey, and they will creep up on it and creep up and get as close as they can before they pounce or before they begin the chase because they can only run for a short amount of time at that speed. So they're very clever that way. This was interesting. It says a lion's roar is the loudest of all of the big cats, and it can be heard up to five miles away. The next to that is the tiger whose roar can be heard up to two miles away. Can you imagine walking through uh, the, the forest or the jungle and hearing a roar and it's like five miles away? You're like, well, that's powerful, isn't it? And this lion has a great roar and Satan roars. And it's said that a lion will roar several different times. Sometimes if it's another um, lion that's in its area, it'll do it as a warning. Like, this is my property, leave. 
Another time, they may use it as a tactic to scare their prey into a trap. Other lions are waiting, and the, the lion roars, and the, the helpless animals turn, and they run right into the trap. Another time, a lion roars is whenever he has captured his prey, and he's on top of it like a victory. Roar! And I think about that imagery and how this adversary that we have, he roars from time to time in his battle against us when he sees another Christian marriage fall, he roars. When he sees another believer succumb to some drugs or alcohol or some temptation, he, he roars. We are dealing with a formidable foe, very capable enemy that we have. This one's also interesting. A lion can hear their prey up to one mile away. It's pretty impressive imagery, isn't it? So scripture's clear that we do have an enemy, an adversary. He was in Genesis chapter 3 and all the way to Revelation chapter 19. We finally hear that this Satan, this devil, is going to be thrown forever into the fiery pit of hell. And I'm like, come on, Revelation 19, I'm ready. But he's all throughout humanity. He is a real force. It's clear that we have an enemy and that he is a formidable foe. He's cunning, he's vicious, he's smart, and he's sneaky. And so can you imagine... People that say, I don't really believe he's real. How vulnerable they may be to his schemes. Let me tell you something else that's just heartbreaking. For those of us that say, oh, I believe he's real. But we live our lives as though we don't believe that he's real. What do I mean by that? This ledge here represents kind of, for us, many of us will say, hey, I won't ever cross that line because that's wrong. I can't do that. Can't cross that line. And we won't cross the line in some areas, but there are other areas of life we'll walk right up to the ledge, right? I mean, we're like Johnny Cash, I'll walk the line, right? We're right on it. And we're flirting with temptation. We're flirting with, you know, just whatever it is. Hey, my friends do it. They didn't get in trouble. Or this is the first time. I'm going to try it once. And we flirt with this, this disastrous attempt here. And we know that the adversary that we have is like a roaring lion, able and capable and very cunning and very smart and clever to do mass damage and yet we put ourselves right there. I think for a follower of Christ, we should live our lives in such a way that says, like, if he's that dangerous, and if he's that cunning and clever, then I need to live my life far away from that ledge. If you're a parent of a teenager today, you're saying amen. Because how many times do we see that happen? Another marriage bites the dust. Another person succumbs to some temptation, or another church splits, another divisive relationship happens. I mean, Satan is so good. He's got so much practice. He's been doing it for years. So please hear me screaming this morning, follower of Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have an adversary. You have an enemy. And it's not because you're a bad person. You may be a great person, but it's simply who you belong to. You represent Christ, and he hates God's grace and mercy and love extended towards you. So he's going to do everything he can to shipwreck your life. Now, here's the encouraging thing. He's not able to take my salvation. The Bible says that's secure and in his hand. If you place your faith in him, God is able to keep you. Paul says, and I am convinced that um, he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. We are safe in his hands. And so he can't steal our salvation, if you will, but he can totally wreck our lives and does it very effectively all the time, church. And so we need to know that there is a, a real enemy. And too many Christians walk the line and they flirt with that temptation. And we need to know that he's very effective, he's very real. And he's very dangerous. And you're saying, this is not very encouraging, Shane. Well, I do have some good news for you. In addition to the good news that he can't mess with our salvation, 
which I'm very encouraged with that, aren't you? He can't mess with that. Here's the thing, he's limited as well. We are not, as followers of Christ, we are not powerless in our battle against Satan. Let me just remind you, we're on the winning side. We're on the winning team. Do you know that this morning? And and, and that verse that says, greater is he that is in us than he, who are we talking about the he? This deceiver than he that is in the world. You know, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, Paul says it lives in you and me. And so do we truly believe that greater is he that's on the inside of us is greater than the one that's in the world? That's the good news is he is not that powerful. In fact, he's a second-rate lion. Because there's another line in Scripture that's talked about is the great lion of the tribe of Judah. How many know that he is infinitely inferior to the one true lion? King of kings and Lord of lords. He is not more sovereign than God. God is much more powerful than him. And so we are, as followers of Christ, not powerless in our spiritual warfare against this great enemy. We have, we're on the winning team, and we have the power of God living in us. And so that's good news, right? So what do we do? I mean, if we, like, hey, Peter says, I want you to know this, that you have a great enemy like the devil, he's, he's the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's on the prowl. He's always looking back and forth, back and forth on that line. So this is what you need to know. What do you need to do with what you know? What should we do with this? Well, Peter tells us, and there are three things that are imperatives. An imperative in Scripture is a command. And so there's these three commands that he lays out for us in just these two verses And then there's another one that he alludes to. I believe it's not really spelled out clearly, but I I believe there's 100% truth in it. So I'm going to give you four things that we as followers of Christ should do. And number one is be sober. You're like, I'm good, Shane. I don't drink. Well, some of your passages will say be sober-minded. Not talking about sober versus inebriated with alcohol, but like someone who is intoxicated with alcohol or drugs under the influence of it, it clouds the mind. You ever seen somebody that was out of their mind drunk and you're like laughing at them because they're stumbling, they have no sense of judgment, their timing's off, and like, you're like doing this to them, they're like, hey, you know, they're just really intoxicated and inebriated. Their, their mind is not clear to think clearly, and so he says, be sober-minded. Can I just tell you that in this world, we get allured by a lot of fancy things, and we can get so clouded up in our mind, and we need to be sober-minded this morning. We can get so distracted with the things around us that we can't think clearly and understand that there is a spiritual battle that's waged around us every single day. So the first thing he says is be sober. Sober-minded. Alert. You might put it this way. Be serious-minded about the devil and about spiritual warfare. Instead of saying, I don't know if I agree with that, it's like, no, I do agree, and I need to be serious about that. There is a real threat. There is a, a real enemy, and we are engaged in a spiritual warfare and will be until the day that we are at home with the Lord. Hopefully you got that. So Peter says, be sober, sober-minded. Again, that's an imperative, and that's internal. It's like, hey, this is your mind, and most of the battles, as I said a couple of weeks ago, begin right up here. And half the battle is knowing, right? And so he says, hey, be alert. Be sober-minded. Recognize that there is an enemy. And then the next thing he says is, if you read in the New Living Translation, he says, watch out. King James uses the word vigilant. 
To be vigilant means to be watchful. It means to be on the lookout. Uh, if you're in law enforcement, they do a bolo. Be on the lookout for this criminal. Keep your eyes peeled. Be looking around. And Peter tells us that in this, this spiritual warfare, in this battle that we're engaged in, and we don't even know it, he says you need to keep your head on a swivel. You need to be vigilant, always watchful, because you have an enemy that's trying to take your feet out from under you. And so you need to recognize that you and I are living in hostile territory. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but just turn the TV on. Watch a little bit of the news or watch some of the legislation that's coming out of our government. It it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at and go, wow, it feels like Christianity is under attack today. Amen? And so we need to be watchful. We need to be vigilant knowing that there is an adversary and we're in hostile territory. And so we should be very um, watchful and vigilant as we walk through this thing called life. And so that's kind of an external action. What we do with what we know in our minds is we need to be vigilant, watchful, be on the lookout, be on the alert. Thirdly, in verse 9, so let's read it again. It says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Another version will say resist him and be strong in your faith or resist him in your faith. Firm in your faith, he says. He says, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Look back at verse 9. Stand firm against him. Resist him. You know, there are certain things I've mentioned before from this pulpit that there are certain battles as Christians that we should not engage in. We should just choose our battles wisely. But there are some, there are some times in this spiritual battle with this enemy that's got these great tactics knowing that he should be engaged and defeated and that we're not powerless in our battle with him. There are going to be times when we need to stand up and stand firm in our faith and resist him. We see it in scripture. How did Jesus do it? With the word. He says, it is written. How do we resist Satan the same way? How are we strong in our faith? How do we do it with a strong and a firm faith? Is we got to grow in our faith. Amen? We can't be strong in our faith if we don't know what the faith is. In fact, some of the translations say, in your faith, but the King James says, the faith, and I think that's more accurate because it's talking about pistes, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's the foundation of our faith. He says, strong in the faith, resist him. We need to know his word. Amen? We need to know his word. We need to get into his word. We need to be surrounding ourselves with teachings and listening to teachings that are growing us in our faith because it's going to make us, like going to a gym, how are you going to get strong? You're going to pump some iron. You have to exercise. We exercise our faith. We grow in our faith. And so Peter says we resist this great enemy of ours who, like a a lion, is roaring, looking for someone to devour. We resist him by being strong in the faith. And so we need to... Be strong in the faith. We need to be able to say, it is written, and know what is written. Well, God won't give me more than I can handle. It's not in there. But a lot of Christians believe that. Oftentimes in Scripture, he gives people more than they can handle. The point is that they would rely and trust on him through it. Amen? Well, God helps those who help themselves. No, no, stop. Right? We do that. I saw a meme uh, yesterday. I was showing Rachel and I, I want to get engaged. You know, these Facebook wars, not a good thing. Choose your battles, right? And I saw one that says, hey, God's going to do these four things for you tomorrow. And it's like health, wealth. It's that message again. And I'm like, it's not even scriptural. I mean, that's good things to hope for. I hope God makes me healthy and wealthy, and right? Takes away sickness and no death. 
But we live in a broken, fallen world, and there are no guarantees there. The only guarantee is that he says whoever places their faith in him will be with him for eternity. That's the guarantee, right? Not our best life now. And so I see these things, and I want to say, do we even know the word? Because if we're going to stand firm in the faith, we have to know when we say it is written, and Satan goes, oh, I know the Bible better than you do, and it's not written there, right? And we need to be able to say, Satan, it is written. Like Jesus did, and he engaged with the enemy, and he defeated the enemy. And, and I just want you to know that we're in the same position. Now, we don't get cocky like we're somebody. And I think that's where he says earlier, you need to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he'll exalt you in due time. Don't think you're big stuff, but it's not about you, but it's who's in you. And it, amen? That, that, that enables us to engage and to be able to defeat his tactics. So stand firm against him. Knowing the word, strengthening our faith, it's like if we know God's word says don't do it, what am I doing on the ledge flirting with it, right? I know God's word says not to do that, but it just feels good or nobody knows or, you know, I'm alone, I was bored or whatever, and we, we flirt with it. And so to know the word, to stand strong in the faith, I believe is to know what his word says. And he says those who listen to these words and put them into practice are like the wise man, so we need to know the Word of God, and we need to apply the Word of God in our lives, and we can stand firm against this great enemy. That's the third thing. Be sober, be vigilant, stand firm in your faith. And the last one I said, it's not directly alluded to, but all of these are in the, the plural sense, and the grammar is like not talking to one person. He's saying, you all. In fact, he says that earlier. He says, all the rest of you. Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and, or the power of God. And at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you, all of you. And so here's my fourth one. I think that we need to be together. You know there's strength in numbers, right? Can I tell you that during COVID initially with the beginning, we weren't made to shut down but because we did not know what we were dealing with initially, we thought, you know what, our, our elected officials and the, the authorities are asking us to help them out, and so we can do that, right? And so we shut down for eight weeks, and can I just tell you that I missed you guys, most of you, I mean, I, but I did. I, no, I, I missed all of you. I, I missed our being together, and you can't replace that. I sit on my couch like everybody else. I can watch the best preachers this world has to offer much better than me. And I can love them and I can enjoy it and I can grow from it, but they're just, you can't replace the togetherness that we're known for as followers of Christ, that we need each other. We need to be together. There's strength and there's power in fellowship. Amen? You ever watch those YouTube videos? I'm a junkie for YouTube wildlife videos. I like to watch the animals attack their prey. I don't know, it's dark, but I like it, right? And so, like, the lion is, like, one of the top ten most dangerous animals in, in all of Africa. And the only thing that gives it a good run for its money is alligators and men with guns. All right? They're the king of the jungle. And I watch these videos where a lion will spot a, a pack of those water buffalo. And those are big animals. And those cats don't look that huge, but they're four to 500 pounds. And, and what they do is they look for one that looks weak, or they look for one that's a little bit separated from the pack, and, and they move in. And they, they move in as a team. And so one lion goes behind, he's trying to work his way around the water buffalo, and the water buffalo's just watching him like this. Don't, don't do it. And, and they can put up a good fight, but they're no, team for a, a, you know, they're, they're no match for a team of lions. 
And so what you see is a lion gets in the front, a lion gets in the back, and they're walking around, they're prowling, and they're ready to pounce. And they go for the juggler, and when they get it there, it's like, boom, you just wait and watch. And that's exactly what the other suckers in his herd are doing too. The buffalo over there going, if you could read their minds, they're like, I don't think he's going to make it. (laughs) Do something. There's power in numbers, right? And I love it when I see one brave water buffalo go, "Mm." you know, like he starts inching toward the line and the line's like, because he knows. And then you see a few of them get together and charge and the lions run and they flee. What does the Bible tell us about our enemy? It says, resist him and James, resist him and he will flee from you. There's power in numbers. We need each other. We need this fellowship. And so I think that for us, if we know that we have an enemy, and it's a great enemy, he's very formidable, he's able, he's had a lot of practice, and he's got a great track record, even in the church, church, I think there's ever a time for us to understand this warning and, and to hear what Peter is saying to the, the second generation Christians, this first century church. It is so important for us today to know that we also have an enemy. We need to know that. We need to know what to do with what we know. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. We need to stand firm in our faith, and we need each other. You're going through something and you're alone. Isolation is terrible. In fact, I was doing some research on psychological warfare and how people mess with your mind and what they do is they try to isolate you, get you away from other people because they know they can manipulate you that way or they try to use fear. Have we not seen that this last couple years? Isolation and fear. And so you see someone who's going through a difficult season in life and they're in a state of depression and discouragement and they're just carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders It's so encouraging to have other brothers and sisters that you can go to and say, I really need you to pray for me right now. I'm carrying some stuff, and I can't do it alone. Could you you just meet with me? Can we have some coffee? Could we just, you know, there's mutual encouragement. The Bible says, as one man, you know, sharpens another. Iron sharpens another. As one man. How's it go? As one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah, you get the gist of it. It's good stuff. We need each other. And you're able to pour your heart out to somebody and pray for one another, encourage one another, and even say, hey, that's dangerous. You need to step back. What you're doing is it's going to wreck your family. You need to step back. That's not mean. That's not judgmental. That's love, right? Because we're all in this together. We're all on the same team, and we all have the same enemy. And it's not because of anything you've done, but it's simply whose you are. And the sooner we can learn that lesson, like, hey, we... We need to keep our, our minds clear, this idea that we're engaged in a battle. There, every day when we wake up and we put our feet on the floor, it's back to the battlefield, the spiritual battle between good and evil. And we have an adversary who is very capable of doing mass destruction. And sometimes we're like, he throws the bait, and he throws the bait again, and he throws it again. And three out of five times we're like, or four out of five times, like, mm-mm. That's a trick. Don't do it. And then in a moment of weakness, we're like, eh, just this once. And he's got us. He's good at what he does. So we need to be sober-minded. We need to be vigilant. We need to have our eyes open and recognize that we are in hostile territory. Listen, you can't, can't steal your eternity with God. If you're genuinely saved, you're secure and in his hands. He can't damage that. And that's good news, but... He's proven that he can certainly damage and and destroy reputation, testimonies, families, churches, relationships. Amen? So be vigilant. Stand firm in the faith.
Open that Bible up. Get to know what it says. When you stand and say, you know what, it is written, and be able to stand in, in, the, in, the, in the faith and stand strong in the faith, firm in the faith, he says, and then be committed to one another to know that we're not intended to walk through this life alone, but we need each other. And I would say, church, we need each other even more today than ever before. In fact, I think the churches should be in a season of growth right now. And I'm thankful Living Water is. It's so cool. You know, people are asking what was going on during COVID. I'm like, man, we just never missed a beat. I mean, we had the time off, and we had to kind of get re-engaged, but the church is pretty close to where it was at before all this happened, and I'm so grateful to God for that. But how many know that as things keep ramping up and as we get closer and closer to the time when Christ returns, there's a great need for revival, a great need for more and more people to know that the only hope in this life is the hope in Christ. And so you hear me say all the time that the most important thing we can do is place our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I would say know this too, soldier, you're in a battle. And so you need to be sober, you need to be vigilant, you need to stand firm in your faith, and you need each other. Talk to people who said, you know, I kind of got out of the habit of going to church during COVID and I just sit on my couch and I'm like, dude, I get it. It's very convenient. In fact, I didn't want to put anything online for a long time. Like, hey, do you want to do cameras? Nope. I don't like that at all. You like TV? Nope. I don't want to do it. But that kind of pushed us into that, that new season and we had to. And I'm like, that's cool. It's great for people that miss church. They can catch up. That's cool. But I think the temptation is there for us to say that's a supplement or, you know, I can do that instead of being together in church. Can I just tell you, you need let me, let me look at the camera. Hi. You, you need the church. We need each other. Amen? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge in your word. God, I thank you for the warning that Peter gives to the church, and I think it is just relevant, as relevant today for us as it was for them. But we know that we have an enemy. We know that he's very good at what he does. <clears throat> Lord, it grieves my heart to know that there are many Christians who don't believe in a real Satan. And I think maybe it's because... If we, we, we tell ourselves that he's not real, then we don't have to believe in a real hell or consequences for sin and all of that. But, Father, we do know. Uh, scripture is very clear that there is an enemy, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's very good at it. And so, God, I pray that we would just be sober-minded, we would be vigilant. Father, that we would stand firm in the faith. Lord, that we would circle the wagons, so to speak, like never before, and we would be together encouraging and supporting and spurring one another onto good works so that we can get through this thing together. And one day when this is all over and Satan, that great enemy, is locked up once and for all, for all of eternity, I bet there will be the biggest cheer and shout of praise that there's ever been before because that great enemy is finally defeated. And God, I thank you that you've already defeated him. And, Lord, the end has been written, and we're on the winning team. And so, God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that's not placed their faith in you, that today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day they trust in you for salvation. But, Father, knowing that and trusting in you for salvation, that, that, that beginning this journey of being a follower of Christ is not a cakewalk. Lord, I know that there are people out there saying that, and it's so palatable to our, our ears. We want to hear that. Our itching ears want to hear that. Father, your word lays out a, a different story, and we know that in this world we're going to experience trouble and persecution and, and suffering, but you said there's a purpose even in that. You use it to grow us in our faith, to mature us in our faith. And Father, I think that we should cling to you even tighter in those moments. God, I pray that you would just give us a revelation in the day of how dangerous sometimes we can be in our lives when we, we flirt with temptation. We, we're like playing with this 400 or 500-pound cat 
like it's no big deal, knowing that he could completely destroy our lives. Father, would you wake us up today? God, would you give us a sense of urgency to run away from that ledge, to quit flirting with temptation and sin? But Lord, to be able to engage and defeat uh, this adversary that you say, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that we're on the winning team. Father, I pray that you would just help us as a church to wake up to that idea and that truth and to live lives in a way that we are not um, victims of his schemes. They were not sucker punched or taken by surprise when something happens like that. Lord, that we, we see very clearly and beyond the surface, beyond flesh and blood, knowing, as Paul said in Ephesians, that it's not a flesh battle, it's a spiritual battle. God, help us to see things through your perspective so that we can be effective in these lives that you call us to live and in our families, in our workplaces, in our churches. God, that we can honor you. More importantly, that, Lord, one day Satan don't get the pleasure of embarrassing you because of the damage that he inflicts on us. Father, we can stand firm in our faith, bringing you honor and glory. And I ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.